I'm just going to put um, uh, some words on the screen. Every uh, week I uh, try and uh, give a summary of what I've been saying so that if we go home and uh, there might be someone at home waiting for you, a flatmate or a, a partner, and uh, they want to know what you've done at church. And uh, sometimes people like to have a snappy summary of what I've said so they can just tune out and go to sleep for the next 20 minutes. And that's fine, um, as long as you don't snore, which is not always a given. Um, but... Uh, so I'm going to put these on the screen. For the avoidance of doubt, and this did cause some confusion for a few people next week, this is not actually a verse from the Bible. This is something I've made up, okay, that brings together everything I've said. Uh, so this is what we're going to be thinking about today. I'm just going to leave it there. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Uh, so uh, for those who are uh, guests or who have not been with us for the last couple of months, I've been away. Uh, I was very generously allowed to take a sabbatical. Uh, for the first two months of this year. And as a large part of that, I spent time praying and reflecting on the Bible and asking God what his, uh, he wanted to bring out to me and uh, to us uh, as kind of values to shape the way that I am and the way that we are over uh, the next few years. And uh, last week we were looking at 1 Peter and actually the way that we walk through suffering, the way that we, we cope with suffering and that we uh, see God in it. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that and you're going through a, a hard time at the moment, then I really do encourage you. I don't normally pitch my own stuff, but I really do encourage you to go uh, back and listen to it on uh, our website if you can. Because I think it's something that really, I was really just sharing something God had showed me uh, through other people over the last two months. And uh, that I found really helpful and that I think might be helpful for you too. One of the things I've been thinking about is uh, getting older. Now, uh, for some of you, you might laugh at me when I say that. Uh, but I find that as I get older, there are various things that I become aware uh, I'm being affected by, beliefs that I'm being affected by. Uh, one of them is the conviction every so often that the world is really big and that I'm really small. And that that can lead to a kind of sense of not having anything of value to offer. Like, what difference could I possibly make? Uh, you might be someone who doesn't suffer with that, in which case we might need to talk about delusions of grandeur. But for me, that's the case. You know, I'm in a small church. I'm one man. There's seven billion other people. Who can, whoever really changes the world. And then, as you get older, you also have more to lose normally. There is more in life to lose. You build, one builds up for oneself a reputation with other people that's easier to uh, lose than when you're younger. One has uh, more stuff than when one was younger, generally speaking. And uh, one uh, has family and so forth. I'm celebrating the ninth birthday of my boys today, which is uh, an extremely proud occasion, but also one on which one reflects that there is something there to lose. There are other people who are affected by my life. There's also, and this might be a personality thing, for me at least, a, a, a desire, a deep desire to do what God wants. Now, I'm sure that everybody has that desire, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have that desire. If you don't, then we really need to have a chat. But in my mind, as somebody who has struggled a little bit with anxiety and, and with OCD occasionally, and I, it's under control and uh, I'm not asking for sympathy particularly at the moment, but I've noticed that there can be a pattern of thinking, which is that I worry about getting it right. I think for, particularly for, for Christians, people who've been Christians a long time, we worry a lot about getting it right. Do, am I going to do what God wants? Is this really what God wants? And if it's not, I'm worried about getting it wrong. 
And then that kind of feeds into the others. And what this produces, can produce, is a kind of timidity. I'm aware of it in myself. And and I'm aware that, that churches and communities tend to develop this kind of conservatism in, a, in a, a small C way. I'm not talking about politics now or theology. I'm talking about the desire to not risk anything. Because to risk is to risk losing or to risk going wrong. Actually, uh, alongside that, we can become complacent and we can become anxious. And I've been reading and praying a lot over the... Um, uh, over my time away. And, and one of the parables I came to has really had a profound effect on the way that I see this and on, on changing my opinion of Jesus, actually. Uh, and so I want to uh, reflect on it this morning and to share something of what it says. And we're going to read several bits of the Bible. Uh, we're going to read a bit from the Old Testament. We always read a bit from the Old Testament, the, the scriptures that came before Jesus. Jesus says, search these scriptures because they tell you about me. And he says, I come to fulfill all of them. So we, we tend to read something from the Old Testament. And we're going to read uh, something from Jesus' own life, his teaching, and something that came after him. So St. Paul reflecting on what Jesus meant and what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to get Yanni uh, to come up and read to us. Uh, from Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to this, but it's not going to be our main passage, so don't worry too much about finding it. There you go. <laughs> Hold it reasonably close to your mouth. Uh, All right, so Exodus 14 verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand uh, over the sea, and all the night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their left and on their right. The Egyptians uh, pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. 
He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Thank you. Thanks, Yanni. Then we're going to read from uh, Romans 12 and verses 3 to 8. Again, if you'd like to find it, uh, it's on page. Wait a second. One one three nine. If you've got a Bible from the back, otherwise, if you haven't got a Bible from the back, if you're using your own Bible, that's great. It's about this far through. Romans twelve and verse three to eight. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We've given gifts, we're sorry, we have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And then finally, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 25. And this is what we're going to be looking at for the rest of the service. So if you have a Bible, want to find it and then leave it open. Uh, If you're looking for the page, it's 994 to 995, if you've got a Bible from the back. Matthew 25, yep, verse 14. For I read, I just want to say uh, that in the most recent translations, they translate uh, talents of silver as bags of gold. Uh, A talent, if you're interested, was originally a weight. You would weigh silver, okay, and gold. And then that's how you would uh, know how much currency you had, right? We did this, used to do the same thing. That's why we have pounds, right? Because of the weight of gold. Understand? Um, but in English, uh, talents came to be understood as abilities because of people reflecting on this parable. And so after a while, they realized it was, because, it was being misinterpreted all the time. So they actually changed it to bags of gold. So in my version, it says bags of gold to try and give the feeling of what the original meant. You might have talents, in there. He's not talking about talents in terms of ability, he's talking about money, right? In the same way that if you can imagine in a thousand years' time, two thousand years' time, someone picked up a book and, and read about me talking about I've got five pounds, they might say five pounds of what? And actually I've got five pound note. I mean, they might go, that was really heavy, how did he lift it? You say, well, it doesn't work like that, it's a money thing. Just saying that in case you're reading in a different version. So Jesus told this story, he said, Again, the kingdom of God, or it, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. He might have talents of silver. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness, the joy of your master. The man with two bags of gold came and said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Keep that, that parable open. We're going to be thinking about it. Um, I am, I'm not going to bring everything out about it. There's an enormous amount we could say about this parable. Uh, if you're interested in digging into the Bible readings that we have on a Sunday in more depth, uh, I do a series of devotionals every day of the week, one on each day of the week, which cover these readings and some others. Uh, if you're interested in receiving that, let me know. Uh, They appear on a blog. They also get sent out by WhatsApp. So if you want that, you can give me your WhatsApp number and I'll send them to you. We also talk about them and pray about them and what we can do uh, to help each other in our life groups. So you can come along to that as well. So I always try and give a summary of what we're learning. And here's today's. Jesus rewards risk. Jesus rewards risk. I'm going to say that again because this was so counter to, I think, the mental image of Jesus that I had, which is of someone who's terribly compassionate and kind of of caring person. It's very true. Jesus was compassionate and caring. But in this story, he explicitly says he rewards risk, risk taking. So fear not. Be bold and courageous for the kingdom of God. Jesus rewards risk. So fear not. Be bold and courageous for the kingdom of God. Be bold and courageous for the kingdom of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend two minutes just explaining the parable in case there was anything that anyone didn't understand in it. And then I'm going to think about what it might mean for us. This story that Jesus tells about a man, a master, who goes away on a journey who's incredibly rich and leaves his servants with gifts of vast amounts of money that he gives them is about himself so Jesus is the master in the story so if you have the first key to understanding the story is that Jesus is the master 
And he's going away for a long time. Jesus tells this parable in a run of stories that he's telling to prepare his, his followers, his friends, for the time when he dies. And so he says, look, uh, I, what's it like? It's like um, a man who, who went away for a long time and left his servants to do his work while he wasn't there. So we are the servants and he's the master in the story. And he leaves them with gifts. The, the sums of money are vast. It's very difficult to read across from the first century to modern values. Um, not least of which because modern values change so often. But in terms of earning power, one talent, one bag of silver or gold would be worth roughly 20 years earning power for a labourer. So the average salary in the UK is somewhere between 25 and 30,000 pounds a year, which means that 20 years earning power means that each bag is roughly worth half a million pounds in today's money. Roughly. So the first one who gets five bags has been left two and a half million pounds to trade with by his master. Vast amount of money. And so on. Now the master goes away. He doesn't feature in the rest of the story, which is interesting. You don't have time to think about that, but... He goes away, and then he leaves his servants to trade with the money. So they, could, they don't somehow make more by magic or anything. They go out into the marketplace, and they buy, and they sell. It's a kind of first-century equivalent of The Apprentice, if you've seen it, with Lord Jesus Sugar handing out money to the various teams and saying, "Go! I've given you this money, now go away and turn it into more money. And they go out, and they risk the money. They trade with it. They buy stocks. They buy food. They, buy, uh, they are encouraged to invest it with bankers. Believe it or not, banking in the first century was even more risky than it is now. And then they go and they make something back. Now, we should also notice, because uh, it's important for understanding the master, that he never asks for the money back. In fact, at the end of the story, we find out that he's not only allowed them to keep the initial five bags in one case, or two bags in the other, but he's allowed them to keep the profits. So you start off with five bags of gold, you trade with it, and they, they keep the, the, the master is not after the money. He doesn't care about the money particularly. He cares about the people involved. The master is trying to find out the character of his servants. And he's not after their money that they can make for him. He's after the character of the people involved. So when this third servant comes back and says, look, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, you know, taking the profits of others, he's so far off beam, it's laughable. His master is not like that at all. He's actually given them all, in one case, two million pounds, in another case, a million pounds, in a third case, 500,000 pounds, and said, anything you make with this, you can keep. He's extremely generous. So what is the master actually looking for? And what is his character? Well, as I've started to explain the parable, you can already get a feel for the character of the master. He's somebody who takes risks. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, if you think about that example of the apprentice... Lord Sugar never walks out, as far as I mean, I haven't seen the last five series or something, but certainly from the first two series, there was never a moment where he said, right teams, first week, I've got two teams of you, I've got two million pounds, off you go. Yours to keep for the rest of the series, and thereafter, and any profit, you know, he didn't do that because Lord Sugar doesn't risk his own money. 
Because he doesn't go, I found my servants and now I'm just going to hand them over the money and they can keep it. But Jesus is, is totally different. In this, in this story, Jesus is saying to the people he's giving them to, look, I want you to have it. I'm giving you as much as you need. I'm giving you more than you need. I'm, I'm lavishing on you grace. I'm lavishing on you gifts extravagantly. So verse 14 says, the master gives gifts. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Everything we have is given to us by Jesus. Everything we have to work with in life is given to us by Jesus. Now that's not to say there are people here who've worked extremely hard and made successes of their lives in very difficult circumstances. And I'm not trying to take away from that at all. If you, you should feel proud and if you've worked hard and you've made something of yourselves, that is great. But we are kidding ourselves if we can't see the debt we owe to God. None of us chose to be born. None of us chose to be born into the families we were. None of us, and none of us have earned the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we, we eat. Even if you've made a lot of money, you didn't earn your education, somebody else paid for it. Do you see what I mean? Everything we have, we, when we talk about being a self-made man or self-made woman, it's mad. There's literally maybe 1% of our lives that we made and 99% was made by others and ultimately by God. The master gives gifts. What we have is given to us. And that's important. Ultimately, we're working with what God has entrusted to us for his service. More than that, the gifts we've, given, the gifts we've received are not the same because we're not the same. So in the verse 15, he says, uh, To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Or her ability. In other words, because we're different, God gives us different gifts. And, and that goes for everything. Right? In Paul's uh, uh, letter to the Romans, he was talking about money. Actually, if, 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 if some of us have been given the privilege of being able to give extravagantly money to other people, then we should do that generously. Not everyone receives the same material resources. Not everyone has the same abilities. Heather can sing in a way that I can't. We're different, so we're given different things. You are you and can only be you. That sounds trite, but it's actually powerful. You are you and you can only be you. You can't be me and I can't be you. Right? I think of the years I've wasted wanting to be somebody else. You are you, you can only be you, so be you. You do you and I'll do me. Because that's what God wanted. We're not the same, and so God doesn't give us the same abilities, opportunities, or lives as each other. Now these two things immediately have two implications for us. First, if everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God then we are obliged to use it. We are obliged to use it. Uh, because I'm a theological geek, I'm reading the pastoral rule of St. Gregory the Great at the moment. Right? Uh, it's 99p on Amazon. Right? Very good. He talks about people who can teach the Bible and choose not to. Really interesting. 
He talks about the idea that actually you're robbing them of the thing that was entrusted to you to be able to do. If you can do stuff, if you have been given abilities, we are obliged to use them. If we have been given money, we are obliged to give it. John Wesley said, earn all the money you can, save all the money you can, so that you can give all the money you can. If you are able to teach, you should teach. If you are able to sing, sing for the glory of God. If you are able to bake cakes, bake for the glory of God. If you have a big house, host for the glory of God. We are obliged to use it. On the flip side, we're not obliged to try and do the things that other people do, can do. So let's not waste time wanting to have the ministry or the gifting that somebody else has got. I could have spent the last five years fighting Heather for the microphone, or Jules now for the microphone, or Jess, saying, I want to be the one who sings. And having those awkward moments where someone says, well, Phil, that's really interesting. You've got a really unique voice. (laughs) Right? What a waste of time. I said, well, I want to use my singing to glorify God, but you That's not your thing. Don't do that. Find your thing and do it. So that's that's the first thing we see about about the the, the master is that he gives gifts and that means the servants are obliged to use them. Then we see something about the way the master rewards the servants. And the master rewards the servants when they take risks. The master rewards risk-taking. This is actually the bit that speaks to me, most of all. First two servants go to the market and risk the money their master gave them in order to make more money. They take a huge risk with a massive amount of money because the chances of making more money is theirs. At no point does Jesus criticise them for this. At no point does he say, you didn't steward that gift effectively because you risked it all. At no point does he say, what were you thinking? Two and a half million pounds in one go. I gave it to you to be faithful with it. No, he says, being faithful with it is risking it in order to make more. Because you might achieve something for my kingdom. To be faithful is to risk what Jesus has given us in order to generate more for the kingdom of God. The good and faithful servant is the one who sees the opportunity for his master's kingdom and goes for it. And thinks, do you know what? I might lose this two and a half million, but he's got two and a half million more back at home. We can just go again. And Jesus says, well done. Well done. So what holds us back? Well, I can only speak for myself. What holds us back from risking everything for the kingdom of God? Well, one that can hold us back is a fear of pain. This is a practical fear. Now, I'm not diminishing these things. They're real. But I am challenging whether they should be allowed to control us and control the decisions we make. We worry about embarrassment. I worry about embarrassment. I'm not going to say we from now on because I'm not assuming that you are all like this. I think you are all risk-taking go-getters for the kingdom of God who don't struggle with these things at all. But I do, so I'm going to say I. I worry about embarrassment. I worry about looking silly in front of people. I worry about, you know, emailing this other pastor of a big church and saying, have you thought about this project? And him emailing back and saying, 
Well, we thought about that 10 years ago, and there were these six problems, you idiot. Okay? You know, I worry about it. I worry about sharing Jesus with my friends and saying, actually, they're, 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 they're struggling with something. I say, actually, Jesus has got something to say about this. And they're, like, they're going to be like, well, Phil, I, if I wanted to know what Jesus thought about it, I would go and ask somebody else. No, I worry about it. What if they just go, ugh, and walk off? What if they're mean about me behind my back? What if I spend my money going for it and then there isn't something there at the other end? You know, um, I, I could... I, I could talk about the fear of that, that actually the, the, when Heather and I went to became, become Baptist pastors, I'm not taking any credit for this, but um, for me to be ordained and, and us to lead a church together, that, that uh, we sold a house and people looked at us like we were mad. We sold a house in the middle of the housing crisis in 2008. Uh, we made no money back on it. By grace of God, we didn't actually lose any money. We made no money back and we were never going to have the opportunity to buy a house again unless our parents die, right? That's literally... The only situation. We're like characters in an Agatha Christie novel, waiting for our expectations, right? If anything happens to my mum and dad and the plane that they're on goes down, people are going to come and ask me questions and say, but Phil, you were impenured and you've been benefiting from their death. So we're going to ask you, you know, if a little Belgian man turns up at my house with a big moustache, that's why he's there, right? You're risking everything. And, and, and there is this fear that what if God doesn't provide? You know, material fear, and especially now, I've got kids. You know, what if God doesn't provide for the kids? Now, of course, we have to be wise and we have to take care of people. But that, we need to call that out for what that is. That's fear. It's fear. And the Bible says, fear not. But the flip side of this is that we, we worry about losing stuff, but we don't see what we gain. We're terrible at weighing up risks and rewards, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. If all we can see is what we're going to lose and we can't see the good that's going to come from it, then we will never take the risks that Jesus wants. But in this situation, the servants who go out and risk make vast amounts. And and more than that, they enter the joy of their master and their master gives them more responsibility. Luke, uh, Jesus obviously uses this parable, this type of parable, Luke has a version of it where it's about a king who gives charge of cities. Be faithful in what Jesus has given you with now. Take risks with it now. And when, when Christ comes again, he will put you in responsibility, positions of responsibility you've never dreamed of. We need to say no to fear. There's a second type of fear. The, 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 the second type of fear is that we will disappoint God, right? This is the religious fear, right? Oh, come in, Miranda. Oh, never mind. This is a religious fear, right? I don't mean religious in the sense that we beat up religious people. There have been some great religious people. Jesus was very religious. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of fear that says, I want to do what God wants and I'm worried that I'll get it wrong. So I never do anything. Should I go for that job? Well, I'm worried that it's not the right job, so I never apply for it. But I also never apply for that one, or 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 any job, because I mean, this afflicts young people no end, right? The number of my peers when I was in my early twenties. Now I was in a very privileged position because I'd gone straight through university and had done a degree that led into various things, led into an obvious career path, and had a job offer coming out of university, which is great. I understand it's an enormous blessing, but there were a load of my peers, particularly the religious ones, who were sat around waiting for God to tell them what to do. 
My dad, bless him, he's a very practical man. He used to teach young people. He used to say, I can tell you what God's telling you to do. Go and get a job. Go and get a job, any job. And trust God that he'll lead you in it. Because you've got to provide for yourself. And your mum and dad need their house back. Get a job and move out. That's what God's word is to you. Right? We, what, we get paralysed. But I'm serious. I'm serious, right? There is a kind of paralysis. And it, it, it comes from a, desire, a genuinely good desire to do what God wants. And, and I do believe we should pray and we should seek God. And I, um, this is one of the most prophetically active churches that I've ever been in, right? There are words coming from people left, right and centre at various times. You don't all get them all presented from the front of church. I, I believe that God speaks and I believe that he leads us. But there comes a point where we have to say, look, I've prayed and, I, and I'm trusting God and now I'm going to make a decision. And what I want to say is if you're in that position and it's the risk that's worrying you, the risk of doing what's wrong... Jesus loves risk. So be courageous. Go for it. I got a colleague of mine called Alex, a friend of mine, um, who's a, I've talked about him before, former Marine. It turns out that I was at school with him, weirdly. Like he was four years above me. We don't remember each other, but kind of one of those weird things where you meet each other years later and you're like, I vaguely recognize your face. He passes a big church in um, Stafford and uh, started off as a very small church. He's big on this. And he's big on challenging fear in us. That he, will, he will keep saying, if you ask to have a conversation with Alex, he does this really annoying thing where he keeps saying, well, what's the worst that can happen? Say, Alex, I'm worried about this. Well, what's the worst that can happen? It's a kind of, actually, it's a CBT thing. You're, you're constantly challenging fear. So Alex says, and I've heard him say this, um, we're expanding. There are 10 congregations or something now. And... Uh, we're very similar. There's literally a zero between us and him. And uh, he says, we're expanding. Some people think we're expanding too quickly. We're spending a lot of money. Uh, am I worried about it? I'm a little worried about it. I said, but, but I asked myself, what's the worst that can happen? I'm sitting there thinking, Alex, the worst that can happen is that my church will shut. He says, the worst that can happen is my church will shut. And I will go and get a job in Tesco's. And I will have more time with my children and all the people who come to our church will be dispersed into the area and I think they've got a good church culture so all the other churches will be blessed. So we're going to go for it. And it's terrible. If you ever come to Alex and say, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should do this? He's just going to ask you, what's the worst that can happen? And this is a man who can literally see the upside of his entire church collapsing and shutting. Right? What it's meant is that he takes enormous risks for the kingdom of God and those risks have paid off enormously. Jesus rewards risk-taking for the kingdom of God. The one servant who is criticised is the one servant who will not take any risks. Think about that. The one person who will not take any risks... Because their view of Jesus and of God is of someone who is hard and who's basically out to get them. And Jesus wants to say to that servant, first of all, you don't know me at all. Secondly, I suspect that's not really the issue. We should be people who take risks to share Jesus' love with others. Perhaps you're somebody who's sitting there and you're thinking theologically. This is what I do when I'm listening to other people's sermons. Sorry, John. I sit there and I pick them apart theologically, right? Um, 
And uh, it's a terrible habit. And uh, I'm just hoping that Tony doesn't do that with mine. You, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure that the language of risk really works with uh, God because, um, because uh, God is sovereign over all things, so there isn't really any risk for God. You know. Fine. Maybe the language of courage is more helpful. Be courageous. Jesus rewards courage. He's looking for courage. Actually, he's not looking for results. He's looking for courage with what we've been given. Courage to risk it. And Jesus might not take risks, but I do. What should this look like for us? Well, first of all, I want us to ask ourselves what we have been given that we can use for evangelism, to share Jesus with other people, the opportunities we've been given, or compassion to show Jesus' love, or to build the church. What is it that we've been given? I don't mean, it's easy, in some, some sense it's easy for us to ask that corporately, but I want each one of us, if I can encourage you to do this this week, to go away and say, what have I been given? Now notice, it's what have I been given, not do, what do I wish I had been given. It's no good if I go away and think, if only I had a voice, then I could build the kingdom of God. If only I had a voice, then I could sing like Heather. No, what have you been given? How can it share Jesus with others or build the kingdom of God? Work for the kingdom of God. To, uh, I got in a bit of an American president's kick while I was preparing this sermon, so here we go. Ask not what God can do for you, ask what you can do for God. Or, to be more theologically precise, ask what God can do through you. Ask not what you can do for God. No, no, I've done it wrong. Ask not what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. It's not bad, I think. I think that's not bad, right? I've never been to Massachusetts. It's not bad, JFK. And the next line, actually, of the speech is, to the citizens of the world, ask not what America can do for you, but what we can do together. Perhaps that applies to us and God a little bit better. Ask not what God can do for you, but what you and God can do together. Second, be ambitious. Here we go. I should do a quiz. Which American president said this? This one's easy. Yes, we can. Right? That should be the instinctive response. Yes, we can. Can we as the church do this? Yes, we can. Can I, as an individual, do this? Yes, I can. Why? Because yes, God can. Be ambitious. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? Now, I, I'm, I'm aware that this can be intimidating or it can be exasperating. And you're like, ugh. Be realistic. Then start small. Notice what Jesus says to the guy with one bag of gold. He doesn't say, why don't you go out to the market and make five bags of gold? He says, why don't you... Go to a bank. Start small. Take a small risk. Then take a bigger risk. Then take a bigger risk. Don't start by thinking, I'm going to stand on the street corner. I mean, maybe if you, feel, if you feel called to do this, brother or sister, I will come and stand with you. Stand on the street corner outside Hersham Shopping Centre calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. I will be there in a shot. I'm wearing a Love Hersham t-shirt so that I can drag in Jackie as well. We'll all go down together. Don't feel like that. I'm telling you to start there. 
Go to the bank. Go to the bank. Can I pray for one friend and then offer to do something for them? Or pray for an opportunity to share Jesus with them? Or is there something that I've had on my heart, a job that I thought I might try and get because it's going to bless others or bless me? Or and start to take the risks. It doesn't have to be spiritual necessarily. Spiritual inverted commas. Start small with what God's put in front of you and then do that. But third, we have to resolve to do it. It is a choice in the end. We have to choose to risk being embarrassed or rejected for the kingdom of God. We have to choose to risk being embarrassed. We have to choose to risk our money. To grow the church or to help others. We have to choose to risk our time. But Jesus rewards risk. Or to put it the way we've come to see, Jesus rewards courage. So fear not. Be bold and courageous for the kingdom of God.